Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Creedal Catholic. Creedal Catholic is a Catholic theology and apologetics podcast that is faithful to the magisterium and dedicated to the mission of the new evangelization. We're a part of the Vernacular Podcast Network, and if you'd like to support us or find out more about the other shows on our network, head to patreon.com slash vpn or vernacularpodcast.com. Patreon.com slash vpn or vernacularpodcast.com. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to Creedal Catholic. I'm very excited to bring to you today's episode in which I'm going to be sitting down with Father Anthony Sharapa. He's joining me from across the country. He's sitting in his home in or his, his uh, rectory, I believe, in Pennsylvania. But Father Sharapa is the parochial vicar at Holy Spirit Parish in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And this has the unique distinction of being a brand new parish, canonically speaking at least, that was created by the combination of seven previous parishes. So that just happened this summer, and Father Sharapa is the parochial vicar there. So that is Holy Spirit Parish in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. And Father Sharapa has been a priest for three years now. I became familiar with his work through the podcast Clerically Speaking, which I've recommended on this podcast before, and I again commend it to all of my listeners here because it's Father Sharapa and another priest, Father Harrison, who I had on a few episodes ago, um, talking about life as priests and talking about uh, Catholic Twitter and helping to form Catholic people. So I really appreciate that podcast. And Father Anthony, welcome to Creedal Catholic. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks, thanks for your uh, kind words. Really enjoy doing the podcast. And it's good to hear that it's helpful for people. I really can't believe it's been a year. You guys just celebrated your one year anniversary of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Just like three, four weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. gone by quickly. Uh, there's been a lot of improvements. <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is something that takes practice, but we're starting to, uh, my relationship with Father Harrison has grown as friends and we kind of uh, get into a good groove as far as the conversation. So I, I'm happy with the way it's going. It's been really fun to have listened from if not the first episode, it was the second or third. So I've been listening for sure. for almost the entire time. And I too have been able to sort of observe your guys changing relationship. And I also feel like I, as a listener, have sort of changed my relationship to you, even though prior to coming on this podcast, you didn't know me. As a listener, I think you sort of develop a certain rapport, even if it's one-sided with the host. And it's been it's been fun to kind of grow in the podcast with you guys from day one. Yeah, that's kind of the appeal of podcasts. There is a social dynamic to it. Yeah. It's obviously not perfect, but there is something to that. I've, you know, met other people whose podcasts I've listened to, and it's, it's, it's like the bridge is half built to uh, friendship there. So it's kind of neat that way. Well, speaking of the social dynamic, I know you are very active on Twitter, and mm-hmm. I want to be upfront with you and just share that this is something that I've struggled with in my own personal life because uh, I'm the kind of person who, if Twitter's on my phone, I'm going to be on Twitter all the time, and. Uh, and, and I just sort of get addicted to the timeline. And that's that's harmful for me because I personally struggle with the negativity of Twitter and the fact that it's always trying to throw you into a panic attack because there's always bad news to be had around the world. But you, I know, have been able to use Twitter in your ministry. You have a pretty significant following. You can give me the most updated numbers. But last I checked, it was something on the order of 20,000 followers, which for Twitter is uh, it's it's pretty impressive. You don't have you don't have the blue check mark yet, so you're not in the blue check mark. I don't. Mark I don't. I'm not an official person, but <laughs> not uh, yet. I do have a uh, that's that's when you'll really have arrived. But what mm-hmm. are your what are your thoughts just on sort of social media in the modern era and how a faithful Catholic can best engage? Because it does really require, I think, a balancing act and and a high degree of intentionality. Yeah, it really really does. And uh, I've reflected on my Twitter presence and how I've used the app and how the app has used me uh, is something I do bring to prayer. Um, and you're right. Cause 
uh, I am just as easily drawn into the timeline and everything. There are times I've had to do little Twitter fasts. Uh, I gave it up for Advent last year. Sometimes I'll just delete all my tweets so I have nothing to look at, nothing to check. Uh, you definitely need those breaks. But you said, you said it's a, a ministry, and for some guys it is. Um, I'd say, I tell people it's a ministry for me in the sense in the same sense that it's a ministry for me to go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Like when I go to the grocery store, I'm there to buy milk, but I'm there as a priest and I'll see people and they'll see me. And a lot of times they'll talk with me and interact with me and it becomes a witness and it becomes a ministry, but I'm really there to buy milk. So for Twitter, for me, it is kind of a distraction for me. It's a way to keep up with friends and with news and stuff, but I'm going to be as authentically me as I can be. And so I think my account, the way I use it, as just a witness. It's a, a, a peek at a personality of one priest, at least one aspect of my personality, because you're never going to get the whole idea of the person through Twitter. But it allows people to kind of see that. So that's the way I approach it. As far as the negativity, I've received so much of it, so much of it. I've, I've, if it wasn't so self-indulgent, I would have already made an account called Lay Aside Father Anthony, where I just retweet <laughs> all the negative comments I've gotten, because they, they are hilarious and terrible. I'm sure uh, so, they are. I mean, that's just the nature of Twitter, though. It's just it's such yeah. a um, before I hit the record button, I think I called Twitter a cesspool. And yes. I think that's a it's a pretty accurate characterization, because no matter what you do, you'll be criticized by someone because those people. Well, first of all, people can just be terrible. But second, Twitter and social media more broadly gives them a sort of veil of anonymity that they can hide behind. Yeah. And it just gives them license to say things that they would never say to your face. And it can just create a very toxic environment that is is tough to handle. Yeah, so my uh, friend, Father Alex Schrank, who's also on Twitter, at Schrank, uh, he said several times, and it's very wise, nobody can make you respond to a comment. Mm-hmm. No one can make you respond to a negative comment. And this is when it gets painful is when you start interacting with people who have no intention of having a conversation. So the way I handle it is if you're just kind of annoying, I ignore you. Uh, if you're harassing me or harassing other people, I block you and I move on. But a lot of goods come from it. I've made many good priest friends. The fact that I started uh, clerically speaking is because of Twitter. I um, have met many amazing people. I've engaged in ideas that have helped me grow as a priest. So good can happen from it. But it's it's a it's a powerful tool and a dangerous tool. But it can be used for good. I think a double edged sword. Yes. Yeah. Well. So. I take your point about how it's not a ministry in the sense that, for example, uh, I don't know, Bishop Barron uses Twitter, right? Because I think right. every tweet from Bishop Barron is like, friends, here's my homily from this Sunday. Or, yeah. you know, friends, check out my new video on John Henry Newman. And that that's a different thing from you talking about like, you know, I don't know, spicy chicken nuggets are back at Wendy's, right? So Exactly. So, yeah, I, a little different. <laughs> so how do you... Um, I guess, how do you sort of control... Maybe you can't. Maybe the answer is you don't. But how do you uh, try to sort of shape expectations from your followers so that they understand this is not a purely evangelistic outreach in the way that, you know, word on fire is. Yeah. The tough thing is I have 19,000 some followers and it's impossible for me to be responsible to be responsible for all of them. Right. I can't be responsible for what they hear. Now, to a certain extent, I have to be careful what I say. I've definitely toned down a lot of my rhetoric and there are things that I think would be interesting to tweet that I don't. So I'm more discerning in that way. So I do my part, but after I do my best and do my part, you kind of have to let the chips fall as they may. So uh, there has to be a certain detachment that I can't, you know, control people's minds and hearts. I can't let them know if I'm genuine or if I'm joking all the time. So I just kind of try to do my thing and go from there. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Well, let's go from there and talk right. about the meat of the discussion here. I really wanted to have you on, Father, to talk about vocations because this is something you've talked about on Clerically Speaking. But I love mm-hmm. talking to young priests about vocations because they're they're close to the process as, in the sense that they just went through it. Um, yeah. Oftentimes serving as you know vocation directors or assistant vocation directors for their diocese because they can they can connect to younger people and and talk to young men in a way that connects with them and explain why being a priest is so great. And we have this vocations crisis, globally speaking, in the church. Mm-hmm. I know it, it varies in severity depending on what diocese or, or you know uh, jurisdiction we're talking about, but globally there is a crisis because people are not wanting to become priests. So I wanted to wanted to get a sense of your uh, your take on this and mm-hmm. maybe maybe for our listeners just get some things to think about and some things that they can take back to their parishes and when they talk to young people about uh, pursuing religious vocations. And I don't want this to be exclusive to young men pursuing the priesthood because uh, women can pursue religious life as well, and they certainly should. And um, I think based on a, some things I've been reading recently, the vocations crisis is less severe for women. I think um, there are actually quite a number of women pursuing re- religious life now, but we should we should always be encouraging that because it's it's the uh, the highest order of life and it's something to be pursued because it's intrinsically good. So I want to sort of talk about all of that, and I thought you were a great candidate because a you're close to the process, but but also you're, uh, and I just fact checked this with you before hitting record. The youngest priest in the diocese of Pittsburgh, still even three years on from your ordination. Yeah, so I entered seminary right out of high school. So the youngest you can be, without getting a special dispensation uh, to be ordained, is I believe 26, and I had just turned 27 when I was ordained. So. Yes, I am the youngest priest. There's other guys in their early 30s. I'm 30 years old, so there's other guys, uh, you know, in their early 30s in the diocese. But I'm still the youngest. I get that little gold star next to my go. name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you were you, you entered seminary right out of high school. At what point did you know you wanted to be a priest? Was this something that you you had on your heart from when you were age five, or was it in high school that you discerned this? Uh, what, what happened there? Kind of talking through. Yeah, that yeah. So, so growing up, I was a very nominal Catholic. Um, you know, my parents' religions. My dad was Italian, and my mom was Methodist. So there was kind of like a Christian vibe there, but it wasn't very intentional. And uh, my dad, even though he was technically Catholic, my parents even got married outside the church. Oh wow! So I didn't. I wasn't baptized when I was born. Uh, but basically, one day, and I have to ask my dad about this. I haven't done it. Uh, but one day, I my dad just kind of figured that good people go to church. So he knew that the Catholic parish was really close and there was an Italian priest there that he liked. So he started going to church. Now, my parents couldn't receive communion because they were uh, married outside the church. But my brothers and I, I remember my baptism. <laughs> I remember uh, holding the candle that was on fire because that's pretty cool for an eight-year-old to be oh, able to hold sure. something that's, that's awesome. on fire. Yeah. And that's, that's all like I remember about my baptism. Yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, when my brothers and I were going to communion, I have two younger brothers, my mom seeing that she desired to be in communion with us. Oh, wow. It was seeing us go to communion that that moved our heart to want to become Catholic because she would go to mass all the time, but she couldn't receive. So she went through RCIA. My parents got married in the church. I was actually the witness for their wedding. I think this happened sometime early high school or, or late middle school. Okay. And um, so that's kind of where the faith started picking up. But for me, even though I believed in God, I figured God existed because the idea of all this stuff, this world happening by accident just struck me as a very dumb idea. Uh, so there's probably a God. He seems relatively okay and whatever. Uh, but my conversion experience spiritually came right before confirmation during Eucharistic adoration. Now, this is one of those like forced, miserable, 
middle school retreats that you have to do for confirmation because right, you have right. to all these check marks for confirmation. And I was like, whatever. If my parents want me to get confirmed, that's fine. I didn't really know what it was. When they asked me to pick a confirmation name, I was like, change my name? That's stupid. I'm going to pick Anthony again because my name's awesome. Well, like, not, a, not a bad namesake. So right, right, right. You, you sort of lucked out there, yeah. Great saint, but like I had put no thought into this. But basically, I was kneeling there before the Blessed Sacrament, and I was, I forget what eighth grade uh, Father Anthony was upset about, but just like life and friendship and family. And if God is so good and God is so loving, why is he letting my life be so trashy. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't have anything nice to say to God. So I'm not going to say anything at all because I'm nothing if not very polite. But it kind of struck me that God kind of knows what I'm thinking, even if I'm not thinking it out loud. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So I was like, fine, let's do it. I just started yelling at God. Why would you do this? Why is this happening? Not out loud because that's what crazy people do. Of course. I was yes. folding my hands and just very angrily praying. <laughs> and it was the first time I had ever prayed honestly, like I had said prayers and I wasn't like lying when I said them, but this was something different. I, I kind of took my heart, threw it on the altar. and was like, yeah, look at it. That's, that's what I got. And then after that, I just listened and I'm pretty sure that's the first time I ever just listened for God. And, uh, in this moment of grace, I had, I, I only had a few other experiences that were like this in my prayer life, but it really felt like God just swooped down, touched me on my heart. He didn't answer any questions, but I knew that he heard me and I knew that he loved me. And in that moment, none of my questions mattered anymore. I'm very emotional. I'm already sweating because it's middle of June and July in this chapel with no uh, AC. But I just started like weeping and crying. I remember running out of the chapel because I didn't want anyone to see me like this. But from that point on, I knew there's something about the Eucharist and there's something about the Catholic Church. And I want to learn everything about it. So I became a uh, youth group all-star. I love my youth group. Uh, we were engaging with ideas and talking about things that mattered to me and difficult subjects. And I was learning and I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? I wouldn't mind being poor. I wouldn't mind needing to move somewhere. I wouldn't mind giving my life to the Lord. And I came to this beautiful moment where I knew in my heart of hearts that God was calling me to be a youth minister. And that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a youth minister. But basically I went on this retreat just to wrap up the story. And uh, there was a young priest there who had been ordained, I think, just a few months. And someone asked him, what's it like to be a priest? And he said, it's a lot like being myself. And I was like, oh, that's a very interesting answer. I didn't expect that. And then I was praying with the Our Father. And I was praying with the idea of I will be done. Do I really want to do whatever God wants me to do? And I figured, you know what? I will think of the most difficult thing God could ever ask me to do. And if I can do that thing, then I can probably do anything else. And ironically, the, the most difficult thing I thought of was becoming a priest. I was dating my first girlfriend ever, and that was really cool. And I was a bit of a nerd, so this was not like a given. So I wasn't <laughs> willing to like give that up right away. I was like, this is, I, I didn't understand celibacy. I was like, no, this isn't going to happen. But then I ran into a problem, because that means when I pray the Our Father, I don't really mean it. And it's like I'm lying mm -hmm. when I pray to our father. And like, that seems like a really good way to go to hell to high school, Anthony, yeah. lying every time you pray to our father. It's like, okay, God, if you come down in all of your fiery glory, you point to me, you say, Anthony, I want you to be a priest. You give me a written document signed by Jesus Christ so I can show other people I'm not crazy, then I'll be your priest. But basically what happened for us that summer is I started going to daily mass. Uh, and I was the only guy under 50 years old going to daily mass. So all the nice old ladies 
would be like, oh, oh, we want you. To, you should be a priest. You make such a good priest. And it made me so angry, like irrationally angry when they brought this up because I had a whole plan and a document and that's how it's supposed to work. And then someone gave my name to the seminary and they sent me a come and see flyer. And I was like, hell no, I'm not coming in and seeing anything, you know. But the more I went to mass and the more I went to confession, the more I fell in love with the sacraments. And I learned about more about celibacy through theology of the body and it felt like God was just tugging on my gut. It, every, anytime anyone talked about vocations, it was like they were talking to me. And I thought to myself, you know what? This would be really a beautiful way to live my life in love. If I could do for other people what God has done through me, through other priests, that would be amazing. And so I warmed up to the idea. That's when I started talking to priests, visiting the seminary. After about three years in seminary, I was pretty uh, personally confirmed that this was what God was calling me to be. And the rest is history. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That's no problem. That's great. Um, I want to key in on the the part where you mentioned that you had a girlfriend and you weren't interested in the celibacy option yeah. at that point. And I think this is a a real challenge, especially today. I'm, I'm sure it's always been a challenge because um, young men, especially, are filled with raging hormones, and uh, you know they're they're almost uh, never interested in celibacy. <laughs> And yes, and especially today when young men are just inundated with sexual imagery and sexual expectations all the time, day in and day out to them, celibacy looks like imposed misery. Yes. And so how, as a parish priest, how do you try to encourage vocations and encourage your young men to think about vocations in that way so that they're not just seeing it as imposed misery? You know, I have to, I have to forego happiness for the rest of my life if I can't, if I can't ever uh, be unchaste. You know, you said there's a, a, a vocation crisis and I think that's true, but I think that's primarily a crisis of the family because mm. there's this idea uh, among many Catholics that getting married is your free ticket to having as much sex as you want. Right. Like once yeah. you get married, then you can do whatever you want. And that, and any faithful married person will tell you it is far more complicated than that. And married life has its own crosses that, um, are very difficult. The rules for married people when you're dealing with another person and being faithful to the church, much more complicated than my rules. My rules, super easy. It seems like some priests haven't gotten the one rule, but for me, I think it's super easy. Right. I know what I need to do. Pretty black and white. Yeah. You know the expectations. Right. Okay. But I digress. Um, So there's that idea that's out there. The way I, I show people that this isn't a miserable life is that I just make myself present in the parish. And I'm genuinely very happy with my vocation. I'm genuinely very at peace with it. There are days where I'm cranky, especially when I have to wake up early in the morning for mass. I'm not a morning person, but I still love saying the mass. You know, there are days that I'm not a very social person, but you know what? I love being with my people. And so you just do that. You live a life of, of joy and you're honest with people. So they do see when I'm cranky and like, oh, look, this is a, a real whole human being. So I think the biggest thing that a parish priest can do is just be present and do their best to be authentically themselves. And that, that has to happen through prayer because you can't live this life without prayer. God's calling, if God's calling you to celibate life, whether it's priesthood or religious life, or whether you're um, single, God's calling you to a deep closeness with him. And yes, you need friends. Yes, you need exercise. Yes, you need integration as a person, but more than anything else, you need prayer because all you have is Jesus Christ if you're a celibate. Whereas in the married life, you, I mean, Jesus Christ is still your primary relationship, but it's very much mediated through your, your relationship with your spouse. It's mm-hmm. a different way of encountering Christ. So, but for us, 
you got to be in front of a tabernacle in my opinion. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And you know, married people should also be in front of a tabernacle too. And, absolutely. And, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, the, uh, your, your point about vocation and sort of uh, having a vocation to singleness, that makes me think of this idea that people often say, I'm, I'm thinking about a vocation. And they say that meaning I'm thinking about becoming a sister or becoming a priest. But right. really, everyone should be thinking about the vocation, right? Because a vocation doesn't mean um, religious vocation. That's a religious vocation. A vocation means you know choosing, are you going to be single for the sake of the kingdom? Are you going to be um, in religious life? Are you going to be married for the sake of the kingdom? And, yeah. and that's a really important thing too. So maybe the, just to step back and, and go to go back to the family point that you mentioned, how do you think, or, or what do you say to moms and dads in the family when you're trying to help them encourage their children to think about their vocation and how they can best serve God as a married person, uh, you know, single lay person or religious? Yeah. I would say the parents, if you don't truly believe that it is God in whom you find your happiness, you will not be happy if your child is thinking about a vocation. And this is why I see more than anything else. You know, Catholics that are going to mass and trying to be faithful, but when they find out that their daughter is thinking about religious life, they, they freak out. And I think like, this no, I want grandkids. <laughs> exactly. And it's totally okay to want grandkids. But part of the cross of parenthood is allowing your children to become adults and letting go at a certain point, and you need to do that. You're always there, you're always their parent, but you have to trust in God enough and love God enough to know that God loves your children more. Uh, and it's a fascinating thing because uh, while I've heard some difficult stories with, with guys entering the priesthood, I think it's much more difficult, at least in the U.S., in family life for women who are thinking about uh, the religious life because mm. so often parents don't see what religious life is. They don't see sisters in their parish. They don't know what it means, but at least they see a priest and they know he gets an income right. and they know at least there's people around. And, and there's, some, there's just, some, I mean, uh, rightly or wrongly, there's some status associated with that too. It, exactly. It's sort of a yeah. holdover from maybe a century ago, but it's, there's, it's still there. Right. So there's these things that they can sort of kind of put their mind around, but religious life is something so foreign that it frightens them. Uh, so in order to combat that fear, you have to have a deep trust in God. And that's the biggest thing, because like if the the faith, I mean, there of course there are exceptions because God works in all kinds of different ways. But the best way, the only real way to pass on the faith is to live it yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. I mean, another thing I think is that Catholic parents need to realize that the celibate religious life is of an objectively higher order than married life, mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, it probably sounds like a controversial, certainly anti-modern statement to say that, but it's, this is, this is not even like some uniquely, uh, you know, Catholic post-Trent idea. Like this is straight out of the Bible from the apostle Paul. Right. Yeah. And so, so people need to understand that as well. I have three kids. I would love to have grandkids someday. And if if any of them pursue marriage and have kids, I'm going to be thrilled with that. But like, that's, that's great. But religious life better. You know, if, if all three of my kids were to come to me when they get older and say, we're going to pursue religious life, I'd be all about it. It'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would definitely be a cross because there's always a pain in letting go. But yeah. And the thing is, a lot of times when we're talking, because the church has said consistently that religious life, priesthood, these are higher orders of life. Right. But it's important to remember what that means and what it doesn't mean. And this is some of the anxiety around vocation in general, especially for those who are discerning. 
there's a fear that if people don't get their vocation right, then that means that God doesn't love them. Or if um, God's calling them to be a priest or not calling them priests, that, that, that will show you how much God loves you. And that is completely wrong. Right. God's love always comes first. It's always absolute. The reason why um, celibacy, religious life, priesthood is a, a higher way of life, it's because it's closer to the way that we will all be living in heaven. Yeah, actually, so, it was you and Father Harrison uh, yeah. a few months ago on an episode, we were talking about this idea. And uh, one of you said said it very well, and, and I have not forgotten this, and I've actually used it several times in conversation with people since then. It's just reminding people it's not it's not about uh, God loving you more or less. Um, yeah. The example that one of you used was, you know, thinking of like being a being a dad or a mom up at 2 a.m. changing a diaper. That's a good right. thing to do, and you're serving your child when you're doing that. But there's not going to be any diapers in heaven. Right, exactly. So it's a different way of God training you for heaven. Uh, but the, the that celibate life and priesthood in, in a different way is kind of like taking an extra step where you begin living out that heavenly life as a as a sign. And this is sometimes I'm not just like pointing to heaven with my finger. I'm pointing to heaven with my entire being. That's why the witness of religious and priests is so powerful. And they're own personalities are so powerful is because their whole being is pointing to a higher reality. Now, alongside with that, priests desperately need, and religious also, need families to keep them grounded, to make them realize uh, different ways in which God loves them. Uh, anybody who has a family knows that their children, by just being kids and sometimes being goofy and being difficult, that's God teaching you about how much he loves you. That's God teaching you through the cross as well. So it's a right. different way, um, but just as important, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Well, on this point about how some people wrongly think that it, it means God loves me more or less, depending on what yeah. he's calling me to, do, have you found or have you talked with anyone about what we might call vocation jealousy, where you, uh, you, know, you, you talk to maybe a dad who's like really in the thick of it with two or three kids and up up every night at 2 a.m. changing diapers and thinking I should have been a priest or maybe the other way around uh, a priest or um, sister or nun thinking maybe I made the wrong decision. Yeah, that will happen. Vocation jealousy will happen if you don't have a real, real, real relationship with another vocation. Okay. So the reason why I love my, uh, my uh, friends who have families so much is that, yeah, I see the beauty of their relationship as man and wife. And it's, Something that, of course, you know, stirs in my own heart and their kids and seeing like how much their kids love them. And like that, of course, I'm drawn to that. Uh, that's like, important that I'm drawn to that. But that's also grounded with all, with all the difficulties and the messy house and the messy SUV or um, the difficulties of like not getting any sleep and having yeah, to and, wake and up. They're and real. Like, if they're you're real. Sick, <laughs> yeah. If, if You know what happens if I get sick, at least right now in the diocese, I can get another priest for, to cover me and I can take a nap. Yeah. If you're a parent, you can't do that, right? So you see more of the totality of that life. And so you're appreciative of it. You see that it's beautiful. And really, if you're healthy, you should see the beauty in each vocation. But you also realize that what it's not, you see the crosses as well. And the same thing with um, people. That's why it's important to have priest friends. And it's such a blessing to have priest friends. Because, yeah, you see the beauty of that. I have more time for prayer. I get to enter into people's lives in this intimate way through the, the sacraments, through meeting with people, just the fact that I am father. But you also know that like parishioners are complaining all the time and they're acting like children. 
not like the children of God kind of children, just like spoiled brats sometimes. And I have to deal with that and not blow up on them, you know? So they see the struggles as well as the blessings. So I think that's that complementarity of vocation that keeps us all grounded, thankful for our vocation, thankful for others, and never jealous. Yeah, that's very true. I, I remember seeing earlier this summer a, a news article about a priest, I think his name was Jonathan Morris, who was in the Archdiocese of New York. And oh yeah, he was the uh, news personality guy. Yes, and ha- did you hear about him leaving the priesthood? He just he just requested a dispensation from the priesthood to be laicized. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a co- it's a complicated case. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I I'm not overly familiar with the case, but um, mm-hmm. it just it just seems like that idea that I can sort of up and leave the priesthood, um, at age you know 47 or 48, however old he is. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like that's that's really damaging to what the church says about vocations and how this is supposed to be a irrevocable calling. Yeah, so I want to say two things about that. One, that I, I'm in no way uh, judging this guy because um, he was with the Legionnaires. He had a terrible experience in formation. He was kind of forced through the program. And, you know, that kind of experience can really mess you up. So this is anything against him. But to your point is also correct. Um, this idea that, you know, God is calling you to leave the priesthood. I'm very, very, very hesitant to agree with that. And I, I yeah. personally, I do. I don't. I don't. Because you said yes, and you made those promises. Right. And now it's time to keep those promises. Yeah, you might need to step away from active ministry and do some healing. And that's all good. But once you've made those promises, they're real. Mm-hmm. They're real, you know, and uh, your your soul is changed. There's an indelible mark on it. You are no longer just you. You are a priest of Jesus Christ. Whether or not this happened through something very difficult and unhealthy, God can bring good out of even those dark things. And he still called you his brother despite all of that. So it's a very difficult subject because like when you're dealing with issues, you're never just dealing with issues. You're dealing with people's lives and their souls. But it's important to keep those things in balance, that this isn't something you just walk away from. And anytime someone walks away from those promises, it is a tragedy. You know, mercy for them, prayers for them, but it's a tragedy. Just like every time there's a divorce, it's a tragedy. Right. Maybe there's abuse. Maybe you need to get away and be safe. Okay. I get that. Absolutely. But no one will deny that's a sad thing that happens as well. Right. That's not always, you know, meant to happen, even if the situation is is very difficult. Now, just to clarify, I'm not saying you should stay with an abusive spouse, but to realize that the act of divorce is a sad thing, even if you're kind of forced into it by that situation. Right. Does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. I'll cover my bases because those are a lot of spicy subjects right there. No, for sure. And and I think you have to be, you have to be very careful um, in articulating the church's teaching on marriage and, Mm -hmm. and, and we didn't even talk about annulments, but you know, what, what can qualify for annulment and why divorce is always bad period etc. So that's good. Thanks for covering your bases there. Um, yeah. Okay, so I want to talk w- about one more thing. And that is, we. I'm pretty sure I have some listeners who are, uh, you know, maybe, maybe in their upper 20s, 30s, 40s, even, and have not found a spouse yet. Yeah. And yet you are also not uh, called to religious life. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to people who um, may be, at least for the time being, called to pursue a vocation of non-religious singleness and by non-religious i just mean it's not a religious vocation it's a it's a lay vocation but but lay singleness yeah yeah so i think it's first it's important to acknowledge that it's tough and it's a cross and if you're bummed out by your situation that's normal you know that's okay 
but uh, I'll give an example. Um, my youth minister is uh, in high school, lay single woman. She's still a lay single woman. Um, she may be thinking a little bit more about religious life now, but was certainly at a point where she didn't expect to be lay and single at that time. Right. She's still the mother of my vocation. If it wasn't for her and what she did with that youth group, I wouldn't be a priest. So God is still calling you to fruitfulness. He's still calling you to work in his kingdom. He still loves you and calls you to a deep intimacy. Now that intimacy may be the deepest kind of intimacy and the deepest kind of intimacy you can have with Christ in this life is an experience of his cross. So there's a beauty in that as well. So it's okay to struggle with it and bring all your struggles to God, but know that God loves you so much because that is the difficult thing about um, married life and even even vocations to religious life and priesthood, that there are human actors in this, you know? Um, yes, God works through the church, um, but there's also human actors in that church and they can cause difficulties and they can put up roadblocks. And if they do that in the wrong way, they're going to have to answer for that one day. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've suffered from that, then God is going to bring good even out of that. And that can be tough to hear when you're in the middle of it. It can be hard to believe. But if you keep trying to be faithful and bringing all of your anger to God, all your frustration to God, all of that, if you stay with him, you'll be able to look back on your life and even be thankful for the situation you're in now. I think that's so true. And and what I try to encourage people who are in this position, finding themselves sort of involuntarily single or unexpectedly single and yet not pursuing a religious vocation um, is I think, you know, it's tempting and the devil wants you to think, will anybody ever love me? Yeah, um, yeah. And the 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 answer to that is is resounding yes, because yeah, absolutely, because Jesus already laid it all on the line for you, mm-hmm. and and you know beyond that, you don't even know what's ahead. Of, so it could be tomorrow that you meet a person who will become the love of your life. But yeah, and we're uh, there's a priest who will be ordained, he's a transitional deacon right now. He'll be ordained next year. Great guy. He's in his sixties. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So I mean, stuff happens too. Sure. Um, the, even even if you find yourself in a in a difficult situation, Jesus can redeem everything, including yes, your difficult absolutely. situation, and and that's what I think is um, so important for people to remember. And it's probably you know it's easy for me to say, I guess, because I'm not living that right now. I sure I, yeah I am married and have three kids. Um, mm-hmm. So so yeah, it's it's easy for me to say that, and I I understand that. But just to to my uh, lay single friends, just know that you're in my prayers and. I just encourage you to keep pursuing Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even though we're, we're we're talking about these on somewhat of an intellectual level, someone's suffering is always sacred. So you always have to be reverent in that space when you're talking about those things to those people. Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I think we've pretty much covered what I wanted to talk about, Father Anthony. But maybe just as a final closing question, I'll just ask if you have any thoughts for listeners who are struggling with their vocation. This could be a high school boy who's thinking he might have a vocation to the priesthood, or it might be uh, might be you know, someone who's graduated from college and been done with college for five years and thinking about yeah. pursuing religious life as a, as a sister or, or someone who um, is just thinking that maybe they're called to a life of lay singleness. Yeah. So uh, how about a smattering of advice? Love it. Uh, first of all, a lot of times there's death by discernment where we're always saying we're discerning, but we're really just doing nothing. Yeah. I, you call, it, get I ma- call it paralysis by analysis. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you, you want to get married, you have to go on dates. You want to get married, you have to ask someone out to coffee. You know, you have to do it. And yeah, you're nervous and scared, but guess what? Like, there's a lot of awkward things in becoming a priest as well. I can't, I mean, I had to explain 
in my high school math class to this girl behind me who I'd never spoken to why I quote unquote didn't want to have sex. That was an awkward thing for me, right? <laughs> if you're trying to date, you have to go out there and endure the awkwardness and you'll get better at it, okay? So you have to go on dates. If you're like, if this question of priesthood has been annoying you for so long, it's time to talk to a vocations director yeah. and set everything aside and enter seminary and give it two years. Unless something like catastrophic happens, good or bad, but you have to give it a shot. And yeah, that's scary because to drop everything and start learning philosophy, that's not a practical decision. But if you give God that time, he's not going to leave you flat on your face. Right. It may be difficult. You may not be blessed with like 12 Ferraris, but God will continue to love you and provide for you if you trust him in that. So well, just on that point, people who discern yeah. out of seminary, have you ever met anyone who's discerned out and thought um, and then subsequently thought, I'm so I, I so much regret the fact that I tried it? Um. Usually, for me personally, no. You have heard stories of guys, but a lot of times those guys had a lot of problems coming in and had sure. a lot of problems leaving as well. Um, some of my best friends are guys who I was in seminary with and now are married. And like my one buddy, my uh, one of my very, very, very best friends has um, two daughters and one son now. I baptized two of his kids. I'm godfather to the other one. Oh, that's awesome. He's yeah, he's in tons of debt and he's still in school because he's learning how to be a, a nurse. But he's living a beautiful life. So yeah, there's difficulty there, but he has a beautiful family life now as well. And I know multiple guys like that. I'm, I'm very thankful for those friends. Uh, I have three in mind right now. Um, so, and there's more that I know of that I'm good acquaintances with. Are there people who, who leave and regret it? Yeah, but those are people who, in my experience, uh, were struggling with the faith when they're entering and struggling when they were leaving as well. Right, right. So that can happen, but that's, that's something that they haven't been bringing to God in a healthy way. Most people I know, and even the, my, my buddy who's in debt, who left a full scholarship to go into debt and didn't become a priest, both he and his wife are very thankful that he did it. That's great. Because because now that's not a question for him anymore, and great. he grew so much by it. So that. Um, the other piece of advice I'll give is it's okay to take a break from discernment. Sometimes when you're discerning, your entire prayer is wrapped out. God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? God, you just, no, settle down. Maybe God just wants you to be with him. If you're scared about this, well, learn about more the one who's calling you. And if you go deeper into his sacred heart, you'll be able to trust him more. And if you're frustrated with the discernment thing, you can go to prayer and say, God, I just don't want to think or talk about this now. I just want to read the Bible for a half hour. And that's okay. That's a good thing. That's something that God will bless. So don't allow discernment to ruin your prayer life. And then uh, finally, it's good to talk to people about it. Don't keep this inside. You know, one of the ways we learn about our vocation is by talking to other people. And finally, last bit, a lot of people are wondering about like, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? That's a good question to ask. But also search your heart. What do you want to do? Because your deepest desires in your heart were placed there by God. Now you may misinterpret them sometimes. Like I thought for sure I was called to be a youth minister, but why did I want to be a youth minister? What were the reasons? That was pointing to a deeper desire in my heart that was already there for a priesthood. Ultimately, your vocation is something that not only God wants for you, but that you have to want for yourself because it is a gift to you as well. So to keep that in mind in your discernment, I think that's my smattering of discernment advice. No, I love that. That's a good smattering. So I'm just going to yeah. recap here. The first one was don't do not do the death by discernment. Just, just do something. So if you're thinking about marriage, go out on dates and just embrace the awkwardness and you'll get better mm -hmm. at it. Or if, you've, if, if uh, you know, pursuing seminary has been uh, nagging at you for five years, then go to seminary and try it, or at, le at least talk to a vocations director. Um, and then the second thing was, 
say. I'm trying to remember what I said too. Yeah. I can't. The third one was it's okay to take a break in prayer from discernment. Yes, that's right. No, no, no. Actually, that was the that was the second one. The second one was take a break. Okay. From from prayer and discernment. The third one was talk about it with someone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely all three. Yeah. yeah. And then the fourth one was search your own heart and, and yeah, there out you go. Your heart desires. Yeah. That's great. That's great advice. Thank you so much for that. I have actually one more question for you. I uh, I just realized I had not asked you this, and I also didn't prep you for this, so I'm going to spring it on you. But it should awesome. be a, it should be an easier or a fun one. I try to ask my guests at the end um, what saint has been on their mind lately and why. So I'd, if if you don't mind, I'd like you to share what yeah, saint what yeah. saint's been on your mind lately. So it is easy because I'm listening right now to uh, Teresa of Avila's uh, biography, and I've heard stories about her, and I've always been drawn to her. Because even though she writes this beautiful treatise on the interior castle and all these beautiful, amazing things about prayer, the more and more I hear about her, the more like she's so grounded. One of her pieces of advice, if someone, if one of the sisters is fainting in chapel all the time and is saying she's seeing visions, her advice is to take that um, sister, give her less time in prayer, more time in work and more food. So something about like stuff like that or like just how blunt she would be with God in her prayer. The, there's another story of she's going to another Carmelite monastery to help perform it. It's raining. Um, she's not the most uh, physically graceful at this point in time. She falls off her horse and into mud. She looks up to this guy and says, God, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them. <laughs> and I, I love that story because that's something you can say to your friend. You can be right. honest. So just how grounded she is, but also how deep she is spiritually. Someone I'm really attracted to right now. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't read a biography of her. I, I don't know her story in depth, but what I have heard of her, I really like. And one of the things I've heard is that she actually came to Christ pretty late because she was quite a, she was quite a rebel and was kind of running from God for a long yeah, time. Yeah, she was she, a rebel and she had various mini conversion experiences, yeah. but she spent a lot of her time as a very mediocre nun. And it was only until her forties that she had a more profound conversion experience. Yeah, that's uh, neat. And so something about that story, because so many of us, we, we have these great little conversion experiences and we fall back and we go back and forth and back and forth. And she went through that too. She said uh, at the beginning of her autobiography that she never found any solace in the saints because it seemed like all of them, once they were converted, they never sinned again. But she sinned so many times after she was converted and just her saying that was like, Oh, okay. This is someone who's easy for me to connect with yeah, on that level. Absolutely. That's uh, that sounds like someone I could connect with as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's a great choice for today because Teresa of Avila can be an inspiration for people who are in their vocation and in their 40s and still haven't totally bought into it and aren't satisfied by it, um, yeah. or people who are are still trying to find it late in life. So thanks for thanks for reminding us of that. Well, great. That's all I have for you, Father Anthony, but thank you so much for coming on Creedal Catholic. To our listeners, yeah. if you want to uh, reach out to Father Anthony, you can. I think it's clericallyspeakingpod at gmail.com. Uh, no, it's clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Okay, if you search clerically speaking in any of your podcast apps, you'll find it. You can find the clerical pod uh, at clerical pod on Twitter, myself at Father Sharapa on Twitter, or my co host, Father Harrison, is at FR Harrison uh, on Twitter. And so, as yeah. I mentioned also with the Father Harrison interview, I highly recommend giving these guys a listen. I've learned a lot through listening to the podcast. So, Father Anthony, thanks for the, thanks for the ministry. Um, Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. If any of my listeners want to get in touch with Father Anthony, you can also just send me an email, creedalcatholic at vernacularpodcast.com, and I will pass along the note. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week. 